the Lord be with you and also with you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We gather in virtual worship this Palm Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later around the globe. Today's service includes the sermon recorded March 24th, along with music and liturgy from earlier services. Our 2021 Lenten Theological Conversation partner is St. Patrick. We welcome your support and responses. Please peruse our website regarding Holy Week services. We await your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
we pray. Almighty God, on this day your Son, Jesus Christ, entered the holy city of Jerusalem and was proclaimed king by those who spread their garments and palm branches along the way. Let those branches be for us the signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our Lord and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Friends, hear the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backwards. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? 
Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 118 with the Antiphon. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, 
that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Please stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Glory to you, O Lord. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, 
Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had caught in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Said St. Patrick, I arise today through a mighty strength. It is not so long ago that we greeted Jesus at his nativity, humming carols at home and lighting candles of hope in winter windows. It is not so long ago that we witnessed his growth in wisdom and stature, in the knowledge and love of God while as a teenager he taught in the temple. It is not so long ago that this mighty young man, Jesus, stooped fully human for baptism in the surging river Jordan, the river of death and life. It is not so long ago that we saw him take up his ministry among us, preaching and teaching and healing. It is not so long ago that with Peter and James and John we saw him ascend the mountain of the Transfiguration. And with him up through the mountains have we climbed this Lent step by step. We are delivered from captivity, from the power of fear in the announcement of the gospel. It is the word of faith that delivers us from enslavement to fear from separation anxiety, survival anxiety, performance anxiety, anxiety about anxiety. The good news carries us home to the far side of fear, say to profiles in courage. One day you may be coming home to Boston, you may fly into Logan Airport, you may deplane and walk toward the exit, and there you will find a greeting from the past a visitor today to the cradle of liberty, the home of the bean and the cod, coming by air, will walk underneath a bright portico at the airport, adorned with the countenance of a familiar president whose term of office was tragically foreshortened. He is pictured pointing out a rocket on the launch pad. You cannot help but pause. John F. Kennedy, Boston Airport, a new frontier, a profile in courage, an entrance into a new place, a homecoming lit up in green, a new England place. Like the gospel itself, a new space, a newness of life. The familiar presidential Boston voice simply says, we do not choose to go to the moon because it is easy to do so. We choose to go to the moon because it is hard. He recalls Oliver Wendell Holmes through our great good fortune in our youth, our hearts were touched with fire. It was given to us to learn at the outset that life is a profound and passionate thing. While we are permitted to scorn nothing but indifference. Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. For the same reason some choose the ministry, as did St. Patrick, who said, I arise today through a mighty strength. Paul needed this strength. Today Paul writes, alone in prison, his own missionary work, as we can overhear from chapter 1 of Philippians, is under revision and redirection by others who claim he has failed in certain key areas. 
His own personal future is more than cloudy, including the possibility of death. And again, his ruminations in the first chapter of Philippians bear this out. He acclaims, deliverance for the captives, you and me, a saving drumbeat along the river of life. He has a sight line to the far side of fear. And he is unafraid, this apostle to the Greeks, to quote his opponents. His Gnostic opponents sang hymns like that in the Poimandres. In these hymns, they celebrated a great mind in the universe. They acclaimed the forms of God. They spoke of emptying and filling. They especially and repeatedly compared human life to enslavement in these writings and hymns. To be human is to be ensnared by the elemental spirits of the universe, to be at the mercy of the cosmic, that is, historical and natural forces all around us. To be human is to be humbled by death, even ignominious death. They sang the praise of a redeemer who was once preexistent in the form of God, who came to earth in human guise and who returned to the Father's house, preparing rooms for his followers and being the most highly exalted, the name beyond all names, the light beyond all lights, before whom all bow. Sound familiar? Sounds like Philippians 2. Philippians 2 sounds like a Gnostic hymn. Paul may have lifted and used it because his hearers know it and because it suits his message. It is a plundering of the Egyptians, a use of the cultural language of the day to convey great tidings of good news. You need not fear. You need not fear. God has broken in upon our fear and invaded this life with liberation to live fully and lastingly. God's beachhead is the cross. The cross is the presence of God in suffering. The cross is the love of God in suffering. The cross is the power of God in suffering to free the captives, to free every human being from fear. I wonder if we can recapture by the imagination Paul's decision to recite for himself and for his correspondence a hymn to the faithful love of God that carries us over to the far side of fear. Here is Paul. Here is the outspoken leader of a religious movement charged with atheism, with rejecting the gods of the empire. Here he is alone in prison. Here he affirms what can only be affirmed by faith, the victory of the visible over the invisible, of God beyond the many gods, of Christ the failed Messiah over the cross of his failure. He does so in measured, nearly serene tones. His attention is captured by the servant Christ, here so like the figure in Isaiah. To be a human being for Paul is to be captive under the control of malignant powers, to live in a world in which the human being has too often fallen prey to powers that are aligned and arranged against what is truly human. In days like today, following the racist slayings in Atlanta, following the senseless slayings in Boulder, and clouded by our abject unwillingness as a people to confront gun violence and guns and violence, we can readily, fully, even without sermonic amplification, hear Paul in Philippians. Yet, as one himself immersed in fear, Paul, seized by Christ, is set to singing in his prison cell. Maybe today, given our fears, we may hear something of his happy news. 
I arise today through a mighty strength. Meditate this Palm Sunday on what in the past has brought you strength, what brings you home. West side of Syracuse, New York includes Tipperary Hill, the only neighborhood in America where the green light is on top of the red light in the stoplight. The green light is on top, just so you know. Especially coming home, that, that light guides and illumines. The streets on Tipperary Hill are named for poets, Tennyson, Bryant, Milton, Coleridge, and Whittier. Whittier, the street where my dad grew up. He said he was the only Protestant on Tipperary Hill. That was an exaggeration. He said he had to fight his way to and from school every day. That was an exaggeration. He said all his classmates grew up to be priests or policemen. That was an exaggeration. He said the streets of Tipperary Hill were the birthplace of great leaders. That was not an exaggeration. I give you Theodore Hesburgh, born on Tipperary Hill for 35 years, the president of Notre Dame. I look forward to coming home again someday, say this summer, to a place where the green light is on top, to a place of poetic memory, a poetic topography, speaking of Whittier. I know not what the future hath of marvel or surprise, assured alone that life and death God's mercy underlies. And so beside the silent sea I wait the muffled oar. No harm from him can come to me on ocean or on shore. I know not where his islands lift their fronded palms in air. I only know I cannot drift beyond his love and care. And now the passion. And now it is time to come down from the mountain to take the full measure of this man, the son of man, and to have the courage to let him take our full measure too. The crisp air and the vistas of the mountain pass have fed our souls. But now it is time to head home and turn our face to Jerusalem. No, it is not so long ago that with Peter and James and John we saw him ascend the Mount of the Transfiguration. With him up through the mountains have we climbed this Lent step by step. And now the Passion. The road down the Mount of Olives or down any mountain can tax the traveler. It reminds us of all earlier homecomings. Odysseus walking the last few miles to Thebes, Socrates walking to the center of Athens in the cup of hemlock, Richard the Lionhearted sailing the English Channel, heading home, a prodigal son scuffling up the last mile of country road toward a dreaded homecoming, and you returning at last to what are, whatever you have long avoided. Just what is that? Wandering as you have in the Galilee of the rest of life. At last, there is an emerald city and the road home. Today we raise a question. What was Jesus' state of mind and what was on his mind and heart as he entered the holy city? It is perilous, even arrogant, at this late date and from this great distance to try to imagine Jesus' state of mind as he descends the mountain and enters the city. Albert Schweitzer, before he went off to heal the jungle sick, showed convincingly how inevitably errant are all such attempts. More recent attempts, like those of N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg, only confirm Schweitzer's thesis. We paint our own inner lives into the life of Jesus when we so try to see what cannot be seen in Scripture. 
That is against some more popular work of recent years. I still fully agree with Schweitzer. And yet, particularly at this point in his journey on Palm Sunday, the entrance into the holy city and on the threshold of his own death, we are haunted, are we not, by the desire to see what Jesus saw and feel what he felt and sense what he did sense coming home. For now Jesus is walking down into the city, off the mountain, and down into the heart of his destiny. He is going to his grave. Some of the gospel today, as Jesus heads home, is too true to be good. For he is not at home, not at home. Not at home in a world of injustice, abuse, violence, and death. For him, in such a benighted world, there really is no, no place, no place like home. Jesus is heading home, as are we all, though, and it seems sometimes to be a conspiratorially well-kept secret. We are all walking down the Lenten mountain and into our lasting, our last future. Every one of us is going to die. We are going home. Here are two possible sentiments in Jesus' heart and mind as he descends the Mount of Olives. First, he looks back upon his ministry and feels that he is homeless. He has found no lasting nest on earth, no lasting crib, no lasting domicile. He has found opposition and rejection. He has encountered misunderstanding and criticism. To a harsh world, he has brought a gentle manner. To a wolfish world, he has brought the labor of love. To a selfish community, he has brought the summons to service. To an inconsistent dozen disciples, he has brought the steady presence of peace. He has not found a home, no home for Jesus, beyond the Mount of Olives. He has even said of himself, foxes have their holes and birds of the air their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Some of the greatest sentences ever written in English are devoted in Hamlet's soliloquy to a similar ennui, a similar existential vagrancy. And those of us and those of you who have been shot out of the saddle riding for a righteous cause, as we dust ourselves off and bind our wounds, we do so in the best of company, in the company of the crucified, for whom on this green earth as yet there is no place like home. Today you may feel shot out of the saddle, but let me ask you something. What other saddle would you have rather ridden? Some losing causes are worth support even in defeat. I'd rather be shot out of the right saddle than to canter comfortably all the live long day in the wrong one. So dust off, bind the wound, get ready to ride again. It is a warning. This last 52 weeks has been one long warning. Just because we were alive last year is no guarantee that we will be next year. And we have not a person, a dollar, an idea, a day, or a dream to spare, not one. And let us confess it, it's an uphill pull. Second, there is something else alive in this homeless homecoming. Frederick Buechner compares the feeling of faith to the feeling of homesickness, that longing for the feeling of home. Faith is a heartfelt longing for the comforts of home. Jesus looks forward to his passion and feels that he is going home. He is not yet home, but he's going home. 
He has come and now he must go. He tarries for a while, but he is going home. Only the greatest of the Gospels, that of John, fully and resoundingly displays this sentiment. But it is present, muted, in Mark as well. Jesus must endure the cross just as we inevitably must endure tragedy, accident, betrayal, injustice, failure, and death. We have the finest of company, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, when we endure life's damaging darkness. Some have lost loved ones to death this past year. Some have lost beloved institutions to death this past year. Some have lost beloved dreams to death this past year. Jesus walks beside you. Jesus walks beside you. In fact, this is his peculiarly chosen path, his way, his way of the cross. All of the passion, all of the passion music of Lent, all of it, all the way to the cross itself, acclaims in passion the compassion of God in Christ our Lord. God has a passion for compassion. God has a passion for compassion. So Jesus looks forward, does he not, to the completion of his mission, to the last word in the soliloquy, to the transition to glory. Again, only John has fully held this diamond. Only he sees the cross as glory without remainder. Only he has Jesus say on the cross, as we remembered last Sunday, it is completed. But Mark 2 senses Jesus' homesickness at his homeless homecoming, his longing for God. And we sense it too because we feel it too. Some of the gospel today as Jesus heads home seems too good to be true. This greatest of passionate tragedies, the cross of Christ our Lord, is the passageway strangely, wonderfully to our heavenly home. He dies as we die and we die with him. We all die. We're not even temporarily immortal. Yet, Attended upon this road down the mountain and into the city, there resounds softly at first a carol of grace, a carol of love, a carol for all like we who are going home. And we are going home. This homesickness, this spirited sense that home is over the next street, up the winding trail to the cross, this hunger for home, this is what Paul meant elsewhere. This slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, we came far closer on January 6th to a final moment in the American experiment of democracy than, on the whole, we have yet fully to internalize than, thus far, we are willing to admit. We just do not want to face it. We will over time. Yet coming home as a country in the weeks following, perhaps it has helped to awaken us to hear coming home reminders of a green light on top, reminders of St. Patrick and a mighty strength. One said, not the example of our power, but the power of example. History, faith, and reason will show us the way. We are defined by our common loves. There is a cry for racial justice 400 years in the making. And 
and especially, and hope and history rhyme. One way or another, are you coming home today? If so, take with you the breastplate of St. Patrick, said he, I arise today through a mighty strength, said St. Patrick, I arise today through a mighty strength, said he, I arise today through a mighty strength. Sursum corda, lift up your hearts. Amen. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, I invite you to pray in the way you are most moved to support the prayers of this community. Come to the altar rail, stand in your place, raise your hands, respond in your first language, however you feel the Spirit move in your heart.
Our brothers and sisters in the Iona community help us to shape our prayers this morning. We give them our thanks for their gifts of liturgy. I will set the intention, if you would pray aloud or silently as you are moved, then I will say, God, in your grace, if you would respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. You who are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community, with all the joys and the risks of that relationship. We who are your community in this place and time are glad to join with you in your image of individuals in community as we offer the concerns and the joys of our hearts to you. And so we lift up someone whom we have met or whom we have remembered today and for whom we would wish to pray. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for ourselves and for all those who face challenges of mind, body, and spirit. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We lift up a troubled situation in our world today. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We lift up an endangered part of your creation. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. Silently, we lift up someone whom we find it hard to forgive or to trust. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We lift up the celebrations of our human life, those things which strengthen our heart and help us to joy. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We lift up this week which we call holy, that it may be a blessing to us as it reveals the great depth and compassion of your love for us. that we may come to the power of your resurrection. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. And now bringing all these prayers, silent and spoken, into one. We are bold to pray as our Lord and Savior Christ has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Hosanna to you, our Lord Jesus Christ, as we remember and tell the stories of palms and passion, accept and consecrate these gifts, that they may be used to celebrate your divine love and walk alongside your suffering in service to all those least, last, and lost. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and always. Amen. <laughs> 